Today on Ag News Daily. It's just all over the board. And so, again, it, it would almost be easier if there was something kind of more standard, right? Because it'd be easier for my perspective to do education on. We're just not seeing that. And so that's where I really warn people, right? Good afternoon and happy Wednesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr, and today was quite a chilly one in Lubbock. We actually did get a little bit of snow earlier this afternoon, but not enough to where I couldn't go out and drive in it. But if I was up north, there would be a large guarantee that I would not leave my house for at least three to four months in the winter time, just because I don't trust myself on the roads. But luckily, down here in Texas, we didn't get a whole lot of snow today. Although I know some folks in Amarillo, um, higher up north than I am, got quite a bit. So I am lucky to be here today and not up north. But folks, we've got a lot to talk about here today. And one thing that I have two different articles to talk about is Prop 12. We've now seen that a California judge has ruled that Prop 12 enforcement on whole pork sales is going to be halted due to the state's two-year delay in finalizing regulations. In a ruling that was announced back on January 21st, the Superior Court for Sacramento County granted the petitioner's writ of mandate to delay the enforcement of Proposition 12 on sales of whole pork meat. Now, this seems like a win here for the pork industry that it's going to be delayed a whole two years. And honestly, I was kind of excited when I saw this announcement. But one thing that I definitely wanted to talk about was the North American Meat Institute, because they're also praising this ruling for California to halt the enforcement of Prop 12. And just to add on to that, the judge has delayed enforcement until 180 days after the final ruling goes into effect. So I guess this is kind of a win here for the pork industry. I honestly wish Delaney was here on the podcast so we could talk a little bit more about this because as you know, there's been a lot of organizations, companies out there who have really been fighting California agriculture. I say California agriculture, California policy when it comes to Proposition 12. So definitely a win for our pork producers out there. Although within the next, I don't know, 180 days, two years, whatever, don't know what's going to happen there. Hopefully we can push a little bit more so we aren't hurting our pork producers in California or elsewhere across the U.S. Another thing that we've really been seeing some pushback on is cattle market transparency legislation. The American Farm Bureau Federation is seeking revisions to the compromise bill addressing competition in cattle markets. Scott Bennett, who is the director of congressional relations for American Farm Bureau, says that their membership agreed robust price discovery is important to the cattle industry. He was quoted as saying, having healthy amounts of price discovery will yield a healthier market. But as far as having a government mandated negotiated trade, they did speak and tell us that government mandated negotiated trade is not of interest. He told Brownfield Ag News that AFBF membership is mostly in favor of the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. He also says that the, quote, contract library, the components around confidentiality, and then that of creating parity across the Packers and Stockyards Act and civil fines is also one of importance. So just kind of an update there when we're talking about cattle markets. I honestly feel like we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks now. So Although we haven't really been talking about it, not a whole lot of hard hitting news, there are still things in the mix here because we didn't have a whole lot of solutions come after the recess 
that uh, Congress had due to the New Year, Christmas, holiday, whatever you want to call it. Honestly, not a whole lot of news today. So I really just have one other thing that I wanted to talk about here. So I do apologize that this episode is a bit short here, but I wanted to talk a little here about vertical farming. I've seen a couple of different stories come out on larger companies going into the vertical farming realm and Walmart is one of them. They just announced a new venture into indoor vertical farming with its goal of being to provide fresh produce to their retail stores. Now, I don't know where you get your produce, but I wouldn't say that Walmart is freshest of the fresh. So I think that they are really trying to step up their game here. They signed an agreement to invest in Plenty, an indoor vertical farming company, as part of their $400 million Series E funding round, subject to a regulatory approval. The two companies will work to provide fresh produce year-round to customers. According to their press release, Walmart is the first large U.S. retailer to significantly invest in vertical farming. However, I think that this is going to be a larger trend here as we see more companies try to do greener, quote, greener things when it comes to, you know, vertical farming, carbon sequestration, you know, going carbon neutral, those kinds of things seems to be a really large trend here. And speaking of carbon sequestration, we have a really great interview coming up with Tiffany Lashmit talking about carbon contracts. So don't want to keep you too much longer. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the markets here. We've had a bit of a turnaround when it comes to the grain market, starting out here in the corn front month contract up seven cents to close at 627, the May up six and a half cents to close at 625. In soybeans, the March contract up 32 and three quarters to close at 14.40. The May up 31 cents to close at 14.47. In KC wheat, right across the screen here is the March contract is down 18 and three quarters to close at 8.15 and three quarters. The May down 18 cents to close at 8.18 and three quarters. Heading over into livestock, finally have some strength here in the live cattle markets, as well as feeder cattle. Going back up here to live cattle, the February contract up 95 cents to close out 138.05. The April up $1.80 to close at 141.90. In feeder cattle, again, strength here in the March contract, as it is up 95 cents to close at 160.80. The April up 92.5 cents to close out 166.20. In lean hogs, mixed trade here as the February contract is up 57.5 cents, close at 88.02.5. And the April is down 80 cents, closing at 96.45. Heading over to the dairy parlor, closing things out with some negative news here is the class three dairy milk futures. February contract is down 26 cents at 19.65, and the March down 50 cents, close at 20.31. With that, I'm going to kick it over to my conversation with Tiffany Lashman, again, talking here about carbon contracts. Well, today I'm talking to a fellow West Texan, Tiffany Lashman, who is an extension specialist. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me today, especially with all the snow on the ground right now. Yeah, absolutely. Ashton, thanks for having me. So, Tiffany, you're an extension specialist. You have background in agriculture as well as law. You have your own blog. So why don't we get into a little bit of your background? Because there's a lot to really dissect there. 
Yeah. Yeah. I have a really fun job. I tell people all the time, I somehow landed my dream job. Um, I grew up in New Mexico on my family's farm and ranch. So, you know, typical farm and ranch kid grew up showing and judging and all those things. Uh, Got an undergraduate degree at Oklahoma State in um, ag business, farm and ranch management, and then went and got my law degree at the University of New Mexico. Um, I practiced at a firm in Albuquerque for several years. And then this job um, with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension came across my desk. And like I say, it's just my dream job. And so I get to uh, basically work uh, in, in the ag law space here in Texas and, and nationwide, really, but just trying to educate uh, ag producers and rural landowners about some of the legal issues that affect their operations. So, you know, everything from fence law to water law to landowner liability to contracts. Uh, it's a really, it's a really fun gig and I get to work on issues that I really care about and with great people. So it's, it's been great. Well, Tiffany, something that's kind of new and up and coming is carbon sequestration. And we've been talking a lot about different programs and stuff here on the podcast, but one thing that we really haven't talked about is carbon contracts. So can you take us through what a carbon contract might look like? What can people expect? I think that There's still a lot of question marks out there. There's a lot of, I think, open-ended questions when it comes to carbon contracts. So can you just bring us up to speed? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it sort of is the hot topic in agriculture right now. I mean, if you open any newsletter, any blog you're reading, any podcast like this that you're listening to, right, it's a a topic of conversation all the time. Uh, And and yeah, like you said, there are a lot of unanswered questions. And that probably is kind of the overarching punchline is, Um, There's a lot we just don't know. But in general, what we're seeing and what I'm getting phone calls on is uh, farmers or ranchers are being offered contracts either by a company that's kind of serving as a middleman, kind of like an aggregator that's going around and and signing people up for these and then signing up or or getting uh, companies to sign up with them as well, right? But the, the big idea is let's match up a farmer or a rancher who has the ability to undertake a practice that will either sequester more carbon in the soil or reduce carbon emissions, right? And let's partner them up with a company who wants to pay for that in order to claim, right, that they are doing their part to help with greenhouse gas emissions and those sort of kind of environmental type issues. And so what we're seeing here is farmers and ranchers being offered these contracts that like, they're all different, right? But essentially the idea is if you'll undertake these certain practices that are going to help with those um, carbon sequestration or emission issues, you get paid to do so under the contract. So I really want to talk about the parties involved here because there's a couple of different people when it comes to like the companies that you're working with, but also the farmer, the landowner, whoever. So what should be protected in these contracts? What should people be looking out for? Yeah, well, the biggest thing and where I always start on this is you've got to read the contract. And I know that that sounds dumb, but I think that a lot of times people get so excited about, you know, They've heard about this in the news and it's going to be a big thing. And we see the, you know, dollar sign amount that they're going to pay us. It's so important to read these contracts, especially these carbon contracts, because it is a new area. There's not standard language. We don't know what exactly what they're going to say. So 
really, really, I just want to start with read the contract, uh, make sure you understand it. Uh, I really recommend using an attorney to help uh, evaluate these for folks, but uh, at the very minimum, read the contract. Uh, as far as the parties, I think that's a good place to start. I think the most common thing to see right now is sort of a three-party contract. And again, you've got your farmer or rancher who signs a contract with this sort of middleman like aggregator who's buying up right all these contracts and then selling them to the third party, which is a company. So, you know, for example, the farmer doesn't have a contract with the company that's claiming the credit. The farmer has a contract with this middle person. And then the middle person also has a contract with the company. So I think that's kind of the most common setup right now. Things can certainly get a little bit more complicated uh, or easier as well. If you're somebody who's a producer that's leasing land, there certainly could be a landowner involved. And a lot of contracts are probably going to want both the landowner and the tenant to sign off on undertaking these practices. Uh, there are some contracts that skip the middleman right, where the company goes straight to the farmer and they contract with each other. So it can kind of differ, but those are generally the parties that we see. So Tiffany, I kind of want to discuss contracts really across the board here because there's a couple of different companies right now that are having some different carbon sequestration programs. It's We're seeing these things pop up all across the U.S. You know, they're not particular to the Corn Belt region or anything. You know, we are seeing that's right here in Texas. So is there any kind of relative uniformity across these companies, across the country about offers and contracts? Do you kind of get my drift? Yeah, no, I, it's a good question. And there's really not. Um, the contracts that I've seen are vastly different. I mean, in everything from what practices are required, what do the payment terms look like? How long do they last? How much are they paying? Um, it's just all over the board. And so, again, it, it would almost be easier if there was something kind of more standard, right? Because it'd be easier for my perspective to do education on. We're just not seeing that. And so that's where I really warn people, right? Just because your neighbor has signed a contract and kind of given you the rundown, a contract you get offered from a different company, I'll just promise you they're not going to be the same. And so, Again, like I, I go back to like, we have to read and understand what we're agreeing to. You know, Tiffany, this is really kind of uncharted territory that we're in right now with these carbon contracts. So what do you think about negotiations when it comes to payment and those kinds of things, um, you know, practices that need to be instilled? Should people, farmers, go out and try to negotiate things like this or should they be a little bit discouraged, not discouraged, but, you know, kind of shy away from trying to negotiate something with these companies? Well, and I think that's where it just really depends on the person, the operation, what they're willing to do. What I will say, right, is I think that it's something you really do need to evaluate. I don't think that it's wise to just say, well, I'm going to sign whatever carbon contract they give me because I'm going to take, you know, whatever the payment is going to be. I think there needs to be some real thought put into this because like you say, it, it is a new territory. Um, they're, they're, the contracts are all different. We don't know exactly how some of this plays out. So while I certainly wouldn't discourage someone from signing one, what I would say is I would really take the time to evaluate these, really think about things from a production standpoint, think about things from an economic standpoint. 
and really look at the legal language of the contract because there's just a lot of moving pieces here. So let's go ahead and kind of round things out here with steps to signing a contract. Should folks reach out to companies? Should they wait for companies to approach them? Should they get an attorney first? What do you recommend when we're going on this journey? Yeah, I mean, I I think it depends sort of on your interest level, right? If you're somebody who is really interested in this, uh, you certainly can reach out to some of these companies. Um, I mean, you can do a Google and, and, and companies will pop up that have these programs. Uh, there are some seed companies that have programs. There are some, um, you know, pesticide and herbicide companies that have programs. So if it's something that you're really interested in, you could certainly investigate and, and reach out to the companies. We are seeing, uh, at least across Texas, we're seeing companies reaching out to farmers and ranchers. Um, several of the companies I know of are holding, you know, different meetings, different locations to kind of talk to folks about those programs. So you see that as well. Um, you know, as far as engaging a lawyer, I guess in my mind, sort of the time to do that is once you've kind of gotten an offer. Uh, you know, I don't think that you need the lawyer to help you get on Google and find a company, but I think a lawyer is really helpful at walking you through the contract, uh, you know, explaining some of the terms, maybe flagging some things that, hey, wait a minute, we're not going to agree to this. We need to make this change or that change because, like you say, these contracts are just different. I mean, there's some, some concepts in here and language in here that we just haven't seen before, right? So, you know, things like additionality, we don't see that in other kinds of contracts. And so using a lawyer that can really help you understand exactly what that means, I think is really important. Well, Tiffany, thank you again so much for coming on and chatting with me about this today. I wish we had a little bit more time because there's certainly still a multitude of things that we could talk about when it comes to carbon contracts. So with that being said, where can our audience get in contact with you if they have any more questions of their own or want to tune into a podcast episode that I listened to by you that really helped me to understand more about this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the easiest place to find me is probably on my blog. It's just called the Texas Agriculture Law Blog. You can Google it. It'll pop up. Uh, the podcast I host is called Ag Law in the Field. Um, and so you can check that out as well. We do have a podcast episode there where I talk to a couple of attorneys who are actually negotiating these contracts for clients. I think that that was super helpful. Um, I also just this week on my blog put out sort of a, maybe a checklist or at least a, a list of things to think about when you're looking at a carbon contract. So we've got lots of information uh, for folks that's available. Thanks again there to Tiffany for coming on and chatting with me today. Like I said there, she is a fellow Texan and she definitely got some of that snow today. So definitely appreciate her coming on and chatting with me despite the bad weather. But folks, we are always having interesting conversations here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And this week is pretty timely as tomorrow we're going to be talking about African swine fever. And Friday, we're talking fertilizer. So be sure to tune in to agnewsdaily.com so you don't miss a thing. With that, I'm going to let the people go.